You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight to catch uh, myself and my co-host, Alex Barallo, to wrap up what was an incredible win against the Oakland Raiders at home, 34-3 to victory for the New York Jets in a game that, you know, not, uh, not many people saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. Alex, you were, uh, you were lucky enough to attend. Welcome to, uh, welcome to what should be a heck of a show. How are you feeling, Alex? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, like you said, I was in attendance. It was rainy. It was cold. Uh, my buddy and I were contemplating if we were uh, in uh, of sound of mind to go out there in those elements and, and go see the uh, game. But at the end of the day, when you have a Jets victory like that, um, it, it makes everything okay as far as those elements were concerned. Yeah, it looked like uh, tough conditions, at least uh, in terms, you know, with, with the wind, the rain, the low temp, uh, not, not ideal conditions to be out there. But I'll tell you what, man. Um, watching from the other side of the pond, I was, I was actually a little bit, a little bit angry because I was, I was seriously, seriously, seriously considering flying out for uh, this week's game and then driving out for the Cincinnati game next week, uh, out to Cincinnati for this this coming Sunday. But uh, some stuff came up that I had to be in England on the 30th, so that kind of nixed those. And uh, to be honest, I'm not going to lie to you. I, the way this team was playing, even coming off the two wins, I'm not sure I would have flown out. Um, you know, the, I would have had to buy the tickets several weeks ago. And the way they were playing, I was like, man, I just don't see that happening. But then something else came up. But either way, either way, uh, hell of a game by this team. Up and down the roster, guys making plays, offense, defense, special teams. I mean, you you don't beat anybody in the NFL 34-3. to Without guys making plays up and down the roster, and that's absolutely what happened. It's it's just been it, it was it, it was a huge game. Let's face it, and it's as big as a game can get for a team with this record because they needed to beat at least a decent opponent. Because let's face it, they they beat the Redskins, they beat the Giants, but no matter no matter what you tell people, you know, like I mentioned, the fact the Redskins secondary is actually not that bad on paper or or numbers wise. People just don't want to hear it. They look at the they look at the win loss record and they just assume that everything about that team is dysfunctional. Um, but you play a Raiders team that that you know has legitimate playoff aspirations, a veteran quarterback, a Super Bowl winning head coach, and um, that that was like a moment for the Jets to show like, are, are you a team that's really legitimately getting your act together, or are you just a a garbage team that beat up on a couple of other garbage teams? And they went out there, and man, did they did they make a statement with this with this victory? What what were some of the more? I mean, it, there was so much that went that went right, but what were some of the more impressive things for you? Just just generally speaking, you know, overview of of the overall performance. Uh, what I think I was most impressed with <clears throat> is just how functional the offense was, Excuse me. and. Uh, 
uh, how uh, how well the the defense has communicated, and it seems like even with all the rotating parts, uh, these guys have been coached uh, very very good up to this point. Um, as far as people knowing uh, where their teammates are going to be, and um, when guys are dropping back into zone and defense, guys are passing each other off and having confidence in, in other players to doing their job and. Um, also the gang tackling defensively. Um, we're not really seeing a lot of solo tackles going on. Uh, you're seeing two, three, four green jerseys just, you know, hawking after the, the ball carrier. So I think collectively as a group, um, it took a long time for this team to get their act together. But I think on both sides of the ball, you can really see that, you know, we're not all just depending or putting all the pressure onto Sam Darnold. Um, offensively, we're, we're, distributing the football a lot. So, you know, everyone's collectively getting involved and contributing uh, on both sides. So it's just good to see that this is actually like a unit for the first time in a very long time. Um, You know, before it seemed like, you know, early on in the season, the defense was looking good, but the offense wasn't clicking right. And, and then when we were making offensive plays, we were getting penalties and, and kind of going in the wrong direction. And it kind of seems like we're, they're starting to correct a lot of those little um, mental errors and, um, you know, blown coverages and things like that. So uh, just really, really happy that we're seeing a lot of progression, rather regression on the team as a whole. Yeah. And how about the fact, I mean, let's look at a drive by drive. We'll take a look now, but to me, one of the most unbelievable things, the team didn't punt until, there was three three nineteen left in the third quarter. They yeah. kicked the field goal. They scored a touchdown, another field goal. Then Fick and misses one. Then halftime comes. They come out after the half. They score a touchdown. Then they score another touchdown a few seconds later. Um, just just an absolutely bizarre sequence of events. For you know for uh, the you know there was the Brian Poole interception return. Just big plays. Big plays on offense from Robbie Anderson, from Sam Darnold looks absolutely, you know, phenomenal. I had the, uh, the 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 seemingly rare tweet that aged well. Um, it didn't age long, but I had literally said about 20 minutes earlier that I, you know, that I still like Braxton Berrios, and I thought he was a guy that hasn't gotten enough opportunities to to show what he can do. And boom, he comes up with that huge 69-yard reception catch. I'll tell you what. You know, again, we've seen Berrios on a very limited basis. Um, what I've liked about him is the the quickness, the sort of the you know the, that he's got a lot of you know short area quickness to make guys miss. I the speed he showed on that play when he split those defenders. I mean, there there wasn't a huge gap there, and he just shot that gap and split those guys and was gone for a 69 yard pickup. But basically, so the Raiders come out, they kick a field goal on their first drive. They go, he ran uh, over 20 miles an hour on that play, according to Next Gen stats. So, didn't know yeah, he had 21. that kind of speed. 21.04, I think, something like that, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, something along those lines. That was just absolutely nuts. So, the Raiders come out, kick a field goal to get things started, and the Jets counter, kick a field goal of their own, and then and and you know the Jets, of course, on their first drive had a touchdown wiped out by a pick play, which. Probably a legitimate call, but honestly, not even something I think the referees were looking at when they when they went back to review the play, and it just kind of jumped out at them. So a touchdown to Demarius Thomas, wasn't it? it? Was wiped off the board. So the would Jets have been five down consecutive opening drives with a touchdown. 
but still five consecutive scores on an opening drive. So the offense is still clicking and uh, getting at least the scripted plays down perfectly. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they've been unbelievable on the first drive. Then, of course, Sam Darnold uh, on the, the, in, uh, starts out the Jets get the ball in the second quarter, and they drive down the field. Sam Darnold pl- lowers his shoulder from the four-yard line and bowls over. I believe it was the uh, Oakland safety with a huge play there. And the Jets caught a break on that drive with the, uh, with the, the penalty on Maurice Hurst, the roughing the passer. That was, uh, that was a bull, uh, baloney call, but... Listen, you know, we have enough of those calls made against the Jets every year that it's, uh, you know, they're, they're in no position to apologize. And, and honestly, I don't think that would have made a huge difference on this day when you're talking about a 31-point 30, victory. Fickin then goes on. He kicks another field goal later on. And then on a, a really well-designed play, excuse me, in the third quarter, we see uh, Sam Darnold on play action roll out to his right and then reverse field and throw the ball back to Ryan Griffin to his left from the one-yard line that was set up by the Berrios uh, 69-yard reception I talked about earlier. Griffin scores a touchdown, which is nice for him. You always like to see uh, someone make a play after, uh, after getting a new contract. Then Robbie Anderson on the next drive ends up scoring a touchdown uh, on a one-yarder that was set up on a 30-yard reception by Anderson to start the drive. So a couple of big plays for Robbie. And, of course, the, that play, Alex, that everybody was talking about, the uh, third and two, when Sam Donald was rolling to his left, had about a, about 40 yards of empty field in front of him and just throws the ball back to his right against his body, drops it perfectly over the, over the DB or in front of the safety and then over the DB. Was it, I'm trying to remember, was it a corner in a safety or a linebacker in a safety? I forget. Um, either way, drops it into Robbie Anderson, who plucks it out of the air and takes it 31 yards for the, the big gain. Just an absolutely fantastic play. It's been all over my Twitter feed constantly, and uh, it never gets old. Just uh, that play in itself, unbelievable. And and talk a little bit about Robbie Anderson and your thoughts on him, because we saw a little bit of the, uh, you know, we saw him make some plays that didn't include go routes. Of course, he had the big catch on the on the flea flicker, the, the double reverse flea flicker down the right sideline, but he had a couple couple catches in the middle of the field, and then, of course, the one-yard touchdown. Yeah, that flea flicker play w- was something else. Um, didn't know <laughs> what direction they were trying to run to. Um, it was just very interesting. Um, something that I think would be a little rare to see from, from a team with our record and, and our offensive uh, woes that we've gone through, but it, they executed the play, and you know, every now and again you get a little luck on your side, and but the one thing that I think that was most impressive with Robbie Anderson was how he made catches um, under duress, you know, with coverage draped on him. They were contested catches. Uh, he really, really showed good mental focus and strong hands to, to make the reception. And on that particular play that you're talking about, the flea flicker, as he was um, going through and being tackled by the defender, he actually had the ball the defender kind of tried to corral it and take it from him. And as they were kind of rolling through, he pulled the catch in for himself. So it was a really, really uh, good heads up play by Robbie. Uh, you know, he he's kind of been a little bit of an inconsistent player, um, you know, as far as, you know, the big touchdown score. And then the following week, you know, he's got three to four targets with maybe one or two catches. So 
he hasn't been as consistent as maybe everyone wants, but it it was good to see that he was getting uh, different opportunities with, with his routes as far as, you know, coming across the middle and, and taking different angles because he is more than just a straight line runner. Um, you know, as we saw this past weekend and um, you know, it, like you said, with that one particular throw where Sam's going left and, and threw right and looked like it could have been a uh, really, really monumental, you know, inexperienced uh, error, but he threads the needle and, and gets it just a few inches over the, the front defender and, and right into Robbie's hand. So good heads up play on, on, on both of their parts. Um, you know, in, in my mind, I was screaming, run the ball, run, run. And then he throws it and I go, Oh no. Cause the angle in which I had, they were you're, you're just away from us something bad to happen and there. we're in the end zone. And all I can see is the two defenders kind of in between, you know, in front and in behind mm-hmm. him. I'm going, Oh no, no, Sam. And the next thing you know, he catches it and runs and, I just kind of looked around with my mouth open and smiled and said, holy smokes, like this kid is really, really throwing them today. So very confident. Um, those are the plays, those wow plays that, that Sam does that I guess got him <laughs> the, the job that he has today. So uh, very impressive on, on both parts. Uh, Sam needs like kind of a go-to guy and, 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 I don't know if you want to say that maybe that's Crowder or, you know, maybe that's Robbie or, or Bell, but I like how the chemistry is building uh, with all these guys. And, you know, some inexperienced receivers will run their route and then kind of just stop once they finish or complete their, you know, their route tree. And everyone kind of knows that, that Sam has the ability to keep the play alive. So you have to keep your head on a swivel and you have to have good awareness and, and get yourself, into open areas and help the quarterback out. So I like the fact that, you know, guys are, are playing through the whistle and then some. Yeah. Crowder actually had a, a surprisingly quiet day, but I mean, Hey, who the hell cares when you, when you put up 34, but um, what I really like, I think my two favorite things about uh, the way Donald played other than the obvious, just looking at the box scores, he went with 315, a couple touchdowns, but, um, and a lot of people have talked about it was throwing the ball away when there was nothing there. Uh, rather than rather than forcing something and maybe making a bad throw, which we saw we've seen a little bit of this season, but he had a couple of couple of opportunities in the red zone where you think maybe earlier in the year he might have forced something, but uh, on Sunday he threw the ball away. And I, as a matter of fact, he went 20 of 29. I think I think there were at least five throwaways, if I'm not mistaken. He dirted a screen pass, um, mm-hmm. and there were at least three there were at least three other throwaways I can remember. And I remember seeing someone tweet that he had five, but basically he had four or five throwaways. So really, it, when you're talking about when he was attempted to actually complete a pass, he was more in the neighborhood of sort of 20 of 24, um, which is really just a heck of a day. Um, and that'll show up in his adjusted completion percentage. I actually meant to take a look at that. But all around a really good day for him. And I, I, I love the distribution. I love what he had, nine different receivers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, had catches mm-hmm. in this game, so that's really, you know, I say it all the time. And that when you watch good teams, and I mean the number of times as Jets fans we've had the chance to sit and watch other teams pick the Jets apart, it's it's when it's a different receiver every every play or every other play, and you just think, God, you know, you just you feel like the Jets don't do that often enough, and you know that's when you get stuck in that that you know the number of times that fans say, Oh, we we only have two or three good players. And I always kind of sit back, you know, I, 
I think if we got four guys included, we have some, like Braxton Berrios. I mean, I don't. Just, I, granted, it's one play, but when you see a guy do something like that, you're like, why hasn't this guy been a little bit more involved all year? If if he's got that kind, we know he's got the quickness because we've seen that on a couple of other receptions he's had. And if you go back and watch him in college, and that's obviously why the the Patriots were going to keep him on the on the practice squad. Um, but if he's got that kind of speed, and I'm not sitting here saying why hasn't he been getting 12 targets a week, but I'm saying why not why not a couple targets a week? Um, Le'Veon Bell finally, you know, that first play of the game, absolutely phenomenal catch by Le'Veon Bell uh, when the Jets their first shot on offense. So we're starting to see some things now that you look at and go, oh, maybe maybe it didn't just have to be like the Robbie and Crowder show early on. Um, and then, you know, then as Robbie got sort of phased out of the offense and then it was Demarius Thomas, he just felt like let's have a couple more targets to give defense something to think about. And this week we really saw that as as a bunch of guys made plays and if you can keep that going and, and not rely too heavily on just a couple of targets, that, that's going to open things up for a lot of guys. Yeah, you know, and something that you had mentioned, um, you know, long, long time ago is, you know, people said that the Jets don't have an, a true number one receiver. They need an elite guy, like all the good teams, you know, that have good offenses have elite receivers. And, you know, it's not always that, that case where you just need one – particular, uh, you know, Julio Jones type of player uh, because, you know, you can look at Atlanta um, and you look at their record and how they're doing, um, you know, what's, what's the method to that madness? Uh, there's clearly enough evidence showing that if you can distribute the ball to your running backs, your tight ends, to all your receivers and, and, and mix and match your packages and kind of keep the defense guessing on, on who the, the uh, target is going to be on a particular play, it, it makes it, it makes the defensive coordinator's job harder, and it, and it makes you know the defense uh, kind of lose their momentum or their confidence because you could kind of see that really dig in. as the game progressed, we broke the spirit of the Raiders. It's just you know you could hear the hits that were coming you know from players like Jamal Adams, and you know we we, we knocked out Hunter Renfro one play, and then there was another play where Jamal blew up uh, Jalen Rashard on a screen or a possible swing pass, and he immediately had to come out and take a breather. And you could just kind of see that the Jets just wore them down, you know, each each series, um, you know, either by being physical or just by keeping the defense just completely, uh, you know, lackadaisical. They didn't know where to go or who to cover. And, you know, we did a really, really good job of keeping them, you know, off balance. Yeah, and that's that. That's the beauty of it. That's when you when you see teams that that utilize, and you know, again, this is something we've seen for years with the Patriots and Tom Brady, and it's one of the things that, as a Jets fan, it drives you nuts. The number of times I'm I'm watching the Jets play a team like the Pats, and they're in the middle of their second drive, and I hear the broadcaster say Tom Brady is already connected with his seventh different receiver, and I think Jesus, the Jets probably aren't going to connect with seven different receivers by the time this game is over. And and that's often the case. But <clears throat> seeing him connect with nine different guys, you know, Vincent Smith, he's a guy that, I, I you know, it's nice he one catch, 22 yards, but that that's good to see because, listen, we we do, as as much fun as this, this win streak has been, and, and, you know, hell, here's the hoping it, you know, they don't lose another one. You know, they will, but 
you know, let, let, just keep piling up the wins. That's great. But at the same time, you, you want to see some of these other guys get a shot. The guys like Barrios, like Vincent Smith, because Demarius Thomas isn't a young guy. He's, you know, they, they need to see what they have at receiver. Robbie Anderson, is he going to be back? I mean, there's some weeks where you see him, you know, like this past week, the way he played, and you go, okay, great. There's there's clearly a, an interest in getting this guy involved. He can be a big-time contributor. Let's get him signed. But when he also goes two, three, four weeks at a time without a catch or without a big without a big game, you start to wonder, is this guy in their plans? Because it's it's certainly odd to to not make him a, a, a focal point to some degree, but you, you want to see a guy like Vincent Smith. You want, basically what I'm saying, and, and this is actually the thing I want to get into next, Alex, is the, the performance of some of these guys now that – and this, this was the hope in my mind when Donald came back from, with, from the mono, and we hoped at that time that Khalil would kind of be playing. You know, we, we thought early on give Khalil a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Well, maybe he's struggling because he, he didn't have a training camp and maybe he needs a few games to get you know, back in the saddle. So the hope was that, well, if Khalil can play a little bit better and Darnold come back, comes back healthy, that'll help solidify the O-line. Teams won't be able to load the box because you'll have a, a, a reliable quarterback. And we basically didn't see much of that, but now we are. Now, if, if, you, if you watch these games, teams aren't sending seven and eight rushers like they were earlier in the season because you can't because now the quarterback isn't atrocious, as was the case with Luke Falk, and the offensive line – by going to Jonathan Harrison and Tom Compton over Khalil and Winters is not great, but it's good enough that we're not seeing these jailbreak pass rushes where Donald is just getting mauled before he's got a chance to scan the field. And all of a sudden, you can look at it a little bit more objectively and say, okay, let's, let's, the, the hysteria is gone. Let's see how this team functions. Let's see how individual players operate in a, in a far more normal environment. And all of a sudden, Alex, the offensive line, and I'm not saying that this is a great offensive line, but I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, do they really, do they really need to replace all five of these guys this offseason? Or is there a ch- can you look at a Jonathan Harrison and say, you know what, look at the way this team played at the end of last year when he was the starter – and look at how they're playing now with him as the starter. We can live with this guy for a couple of years. He's not—he's not Nick Mangold. He's not Kevin Mawai. But do you need to use a, uh, uh, some of your resources this all season? Like, would you rather draft a left tackle and a new guard, and let Harrison play center, and then sign a couple free agent linemen, or or do you or, or do you still feel like all five of these guys need to be gone, and Joe Douglas needs to use? three or four of his picks on linemen and sign three or four free agents and let those seven or eight guys work out the starters and the backups. And that's just on the O-line. But let's get your thoughts on that first. Is this offensive line, you know, do, do, are all five of these guys so bad that there's no way you bring them back next year? Or if you had to keep some of them, who, who would you keep? Not even necessarily to start. Just who's good enough to bring back and say, you know, you say to Jonathan Harrison, We'll bring you back. Not guarantee you're going to start, but you're going to have a chance. And if you don't, you'll be a backup. Who's worth bringing back? Or are they all just, in your mind, are they all, do they all need to be gone? Yeah, I don't think that 
a, a complete purge is needed. Um, yeah, as inconsistent as his play has been, like Chuma Doga, young player, uh, I think that he's just a perfect candidate that, that needs more development, more time to kind of got to get stronger get it get that NFL regiment get that strong you know get that strength conditioning program uh you know into a habitual routine so that he comes back a little bit leaner a little bit more muscle next year um a little more confidence cuz he's got a year of experience under his belt and it's not like seeing everything for the first time so you know i, I think that there is going to be a future for Adoga um you know, two guys that are that are under contract next year, uh, Harrison and Winters. I'm completely comfortable um, seeing those guys come back in in either a starting role or a possible uh, backup role. Um, I understand that you know the Winters' money um, that he has is does not warrant a backup role. But at the end of the day, we've seen uh, the injuries that have occurred and. And we know that what you see on paper is not going to be the same lineup you see for for 16 weeks of, of the season. So it's just illogical to to have some of the guys that you do have under contract right now and just eat the dead cap. As I keep seeing, you know, people tell me all the time, like, oh, well, the Jets are eating 12 billion on Tremaine Johnson next year, and we're eating the six million on on this player next year, and we're eating. I'm like, well, then how much money are we? Who are we going to get? if we're going to be eating $20 million in cuts next off season, it doesn't really seem like a lucrative plan to be going in the red and then hypothetically getting elite players for bargain average salaries. I just don't see those two things adding up. So I don't think all hope is lost because now we can see that by putting in healthy players, um, compared to to starters that are at 85% or whatever the percent is, not 100%, um, clearly is more effective than, than what we've um, been going through for the first, you know, 50% of the year. So I think the idea here is to continue to build um, and bring guys in here that would actually uh, fit the scheme and the personnel um, you know, let Frank Pollock uh, prove himself because we, we've been very critical of him and we're wondering, like, why can't you get this right? Why can't you coach these guys up and, and get all these uh, miscommunications and, and these free blitzers? Like, why are we still struggling with this after four or five weeks of, of football? So I really think that we've had a little bit of a personnel issue. And I think that now that Joe Douglas can see the type of offense that Gase is running and, and Pollock can kind of see how the run scheme is working and give them some time to do some research and study the free agents, find out who are the right at guys, because, you know, what we need, if we're going to be running like a zone scheme per se, and, and I heard that, you know, going into this uh, from the off season that Adam Gase really likes to run, um, have his running backs be good zone uh, schemers. So, you need athletic linemen in order to do that. Guys that are, you know, nimble on their feet. Um, it, it, it's all right to have, you know, big mauling guys that, you know, can crush somebody here or there. But if he if he struggles getting out in space with his lateral movement and he miss and he's missing his assignments, that's how quarterbacks get hurt. That's how running backs get blown up in the backfield. So I, I really feel that, you know, one or two prospects to come out of this draft. And 
and and do your diligence by by trying to get one or two big ticket offensive linemen signed, whether it be at one of the guard positions, um, or maybe that you know I'd really like to see something happen with the center position and and possibly the left tackle position, because um, right now I believe our draft pick is the tenth pick overall, so it doesn't look like we're going to be getting the the top have the opportunity to get one of the top two tackles in this draft. So you have to have uh, kind of, you can't put all your, uh, your, your entire game plan into hoping that the players that you covet in the draft just fall into your lap. So they're definitely going to have to try to uh, be as smart as possible to get the right type of players that are going to be productive right in day one. Um, and I don't think that we, we have to replace all five guys at this point. Uh, I think that Brandon Shell is playing much better um, after, you know, losing his job to a rookie. I think maybe now he realizes that he's got something to play for, whereas before the last few years it was just handed to him and, and that was his job and he never had any competition behind him. So I, you can see certain players are elevating. So, yeah, I think that, two, possibly three new players um, on this offensive line. And I think we're going to see a lot better running game in 2020 if we can just get just a few few positions right. And uh, were you, speaking of, of Adoga and Shell, were you as surprised as I was to see Adoga starting? I mean, Brandon yeah, Shell. Yeah, we, we had talked about that. So that was clearly, a little weird. clearly outplayed him the week before. I mean, by a mile. And I wrote an article about that, and some people commented and said, you know, I, I said, like, you know, Adam Gase has a decision to make. Does he stick with Adoga or does he give Shell his job back because he's the better player? And one person said to me, oh, what do you mean? You're being stupid. There's not even a decision. Obviously, Brandon Shell starts on Sunday. And then he didn't. Adoga came out of the game. And my mistake, I, I thought I saw someone tweet that he came back in. So I thought Adoga played a little more than he actually did. And I was giving him some credit. I was like, hey, Adoga wasn't as bad today as he was last week. And I look at the box score after the game, and I see he played 16 snaps. So he didn't come back in. Um, but Shell clearly played pretty well. And, I, you know, and I've had this conversation with you before, Alex. I'm, I'm sure I have, and I, and I mentioned it on Twitter. I, I, I see fans oftentimes, they do the same thing with Kelvin Beecham. They rip Beecham when he has a bad game. They rip Shell when he has a bad game. And these guys aren't great by any stretch. But, like, I mean, the difference it's made to have Beecham back at left tackle has been immeasurable. I mean, you can't tell me that going from either Shell or Adoga at left tackle to Beecham isn't a huge improvement. And I don't think Beecham gave up a – I don't think he's given up a sack uh, in the last couple weeks. But but what's going on there? How how does Adam Gase go back and and watch the film – and see Chuma Adoga get thrown around the field by Ryan Kerrigan and then go back to him the following week, um, which, again, ended up not mattering because he got dinged up. But were you surprised to see that? I, You know, I think it goes back to what you and I were talking about last week on how it seems that Brandon Shell uh, is a little bit stronger than Adoga. So if you're going up against someone that's like a bull rusher or a power rusher, it seems like Shell would be a little bit uh, better suited to go up against a player like that, whereas if you're going up against like a speed rusher, uh, 
it, it seems that Idoga is a little bit more quicker or nimble on his feet and, and can, can keep stride for stride, per se. So, you know, possibly it's skiing. But at the end of the day, I 100% agree with you. When you're evaluating these guys and, and who's getting their job done and who's not necessarily uh, being as consistent, I think you can say that Idoga is, is having a much harder time uh, filling in that role than, than Brandon Shell, you know, as of right now. And at this point, when you have a young quarterback and you have a young offensive lineman, who is it more important to develop and to protect? And, and nothing against Chuma Doga, because I think he, he is going to be a good player and a contributor one day. But as of right now, it, 14, Sam Darnold, is, is way more important in my mind to protect. And if that means that we have to you say, sorry, you know, Doga, uh, Shell's going to be the starting right tackle for the, for the remaining five games of this season. I don't think that's going to be detrimental to his career um, because if Adoga lets up a play and, and Sam gets hurt, that's going to be way worse for this, this organization. So you have to do what's best for Sam and his development at this point in time. And, and there's no rush on, on Adoga. Uh, I like the fact that he, he's gone in and, stepped in and played left tackle when we needed him to. He's come in and played right tackle when we needed him to. Um, and and he, he's held his own in particular. Oh, excuse me for a moment. My alarm system's going off here. Hold on. Oh, sorry about that, Glenn. I'm back. Yeah, no worries, man. So um, de- definitely very, very happy with, uh, you know, just seeing his development. But at the same time, you know, we got to do what's best for Sam and we have to keep him uh, protected at all costs and, and nothing against Chuma. But uh, Shell definitely looks like the, the right guy at this point in time. All right. So that's that, that that's a little bit of talk about the O-line, man, because that, that was the, what I wanted to start this with. Is, is looking at what spots could the Jets now, you know, Joe Douglas obviously has a long shopping list this off season. And, and I, I do think that the play of the offensive line has him in a position where he can at least bring a couple of these guys back as depth. Brian Winters, I think is gone because he's got no cap hit. I think it's 6.5 million, zero cap hit. If he's let go, I think that seals his fate, but uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens there, especially the fact the team has played better since he's been out. But, of course, the, one of the biggest stories at the moment at, uh, in Florham Park has been the play of rookie cornerback Bless Austin. I mean, he has been lights out. He has, been, he has exceeded anybody's expectations. You know, my, my thoughts on him were, you know, I hope he gets healthy enough to play a few games in the second half and, and just show a little bit of something. And he has shown a whole lot. Um, it's shown up on film. Fans are commenting on it during the game. Uh, the the numbers are there. If you I, I I looked at PFF the other day. They have him as the third rated quarterback in the NFL um, overall among corners with 150 snaps or more. So the guy has just been absolutely phenomenal. You have to believe that that the Jets are going to be watching him very closely to see how he holds up injury wise. And then of course Arthur Mollett, who has been pretty damn good himself on the opposite side. I mean the Jets right now. Whether people, you know, and, and it, it, this could all come to come 
all crashing down because these guys are far from proven. But right now the Jets have a pretty solid starting cornerback tandem with the way these guys are playing. So how much do you think they can – or how much do you think this eases the pressure on Joe Douglas if these guys keep playing at this level uh, for, the, for the rest of the season? Yeah, I definitely like the fact that these young guys have stepped up. Um, you know, I, I know that people will probably say, like, why haven't they gotten the, the start from the beginning of the year? Well, uh, Millette was a practice squad player, and uh, Blessing Austin was not healthy at the point in time in the beginning of the year. But, uh, you know, this whole next man up philosophy has, has really worked. And what I really like about – Um, what they're doing at this point in time is that Greg Williams, you know, realizes what he's working with that he's got a little bit of inexperience from these guys. So he's putting them in positions to where they can succeed by not uh, forcing them to do like what Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers might've done and and just continue to stick with their, their man coverage style and and just leave them on -on one-on-one all day long. And then they have no legs in the fourth quarter. He's he's dialing up the right t- style of uh, or mix of man coverage with zone coverage, and and they're making plays. And I think from a coverage standpoint, um, I, I think I saw something where they had 13 um, targets between the two of them, and they let up less than 60 yards passing. So you really can't argue uh, with those kind of numbers. It is a, a little shocking that um, they weren't tested as much. Um, it seemed that they were trying to attack different areas of the field. Um, they were really trying to test our linebackers, it seemed, with the, the trying to attack over the middle and attacking with their, their running backs out in space. And the Jets did a really, really good job of staying home. But with these young corners, it, the most impressive thing is how they come up to the line of scrimmage and, and they stick their nose uh, in a fearless manner. Um, you can really tell the difference to when you have a corner that has good coverage skills but is not a good tackler. And it seems that these guys are a little bit more complete to where they can stay stride for stride and give you tight coverage in man. Um, they're, they're smart and they know uh, where they're supposed to be in their zone coverage uh, responsibilities. And when they're diagnosing a run play, it's, it's all systems go. And, and they're not hesitating. And they're going down there. And I've seen both Austin and Millette uh, you know, take down tight ends and, and take down running backs. And we, we talked about Millette, how he took on a pulling uh, offensive lineman last week and, and was fearless and took him out and forced the, the carrier to come inside where, where he had help and, and the ball carrier was gang tackled. So I really, really like how Greg Williams has put together a, a really, really good game plan so that these guys can succeed and, and they're not getting exposed. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just been a, a revelation up to this point. Again, it's only a few games old, but listen, you, you can't deny that it, whether it's two games or three games or four, these guys have been so much better than Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, who you know Daryl Roberts is uh, supposedly recovered from his injury, but does and, and does anyone really care? <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, does anybody really really care that these guys are are healthy? I mean, they. They, they, they're backups at this one. I mean, we're not going to see. I mean, geez, if we see Daryl Roberts starting this week opposite uh, Bless Austin, then I, I don't know what the hell to say about Adam Gase. I mean, um, 
it, it, he's already kind of in my in my mind anyway botched the the Adoga shell situation. Hopefully, well, I was going to say hopefully he's learned his lesson there. But I think if uh, I think if Adoga's dinged up, that'll that'll have an impact there. Which and and by the way, I saw today that Brent Quale is back at practice again. So it'll be interesting yeah, to see if Brent. he gets in the mix at all. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, if he's going to be in the in the coming weeks. If he'll be in the mix to to get some reps at right tackle, but I think I mean well, gee, early in the year was, he was in a welcome addition. What's that? When when there was a series of injuries at the tackle position, and the the first one that was really scary is when uh, Beecham went down, and uh, you know Shell had to come right in, and mm-hmm. uh, not too longer after that Edoga had gone down. Fortunately, mm-hmm. Beecham was able to come back, and then Shell came over to the right side. So numbers are dwindling at the tackle position, and we definitely need guys that, you know, I wouldn't say that it's a major upgrade with Brent Qualley, but at least we were accustomed to his play style, and, and, and we know what he's capable of doing and, and coming in, and he's a little bit um, of a swing guy where he can play left and right. And uh, so for the, the last five games uh, that we have here, um, it's good to know that we have some some depth and and some guys that we can trust. Yeah, and and if you can get if you can get Quale out there, uh, he probably between Quale, Shell, and Adoga, Quale is the best run blocker of the group. And if you're looking to get Le'Veon Bell going, and if if Adoga's mm-hmm. dinged up and and they clearly don't have think a whole lot of Shell, maybe Quale end up, ends up getting out there, and that could, uh, you know, in the long run benefit Le'Veon Bell. So. We'll see, you know, if and when Quale finds himself on the field. But he's a guy that, again, he's a bit more of a liability as a pass blocker than than Brandon Shell is. Maybe not quite as light on his feet. Uh, Adoga, same thing. Adoga's light on his feet. He's just not not there, you know, strength wise. So if Quale gets on the field, you know, more power to him. If they can again do a little bit to get this running game going, it's it, you know the running game has still been bad, but it's been noticeably better than it has in previous weeks. So even even if you just do enough in the run game to keep a defense keep a defense honest because there was really no reason for a defense to even worry about it early in the year when when you had Khalil out there getting killed and Winters out there getting killed they they just there was zero running room. Now even with just that tiny bit of running room, we're seeing more sort of second and 3, second and 4, um, you know, third and 1 whereas early in the year everything was just, you know, third and 8, third and 9 because they couldn't get anything going. But uh, just a couple other names to throw out there, guys I, I think who have stepped up, played well, and could end up, you know, again, making making the, the shopping list a little bit shorter this offseason, of course, and we've talked quite a bit about them. Uh, Fuller runs to Fadakasi. Ryan Griffin, of course, has already been given an extension. Kyle Phillips. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the depth on the D-line right now is phenomenal. You know, to think that they got rid of Leonard Williams and got better is just is just fantastic and picked up a third and a fifth in the process. Cause I'll tell you what, I don't see the Giants re-signing Leonard Williams. I don't know how – he still doesn't have a sack with them. I think he had a, 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 an assist, a ta- an assisted tackle this past week. Um, and, you know, I've said it before, Leo's not a bad player, but he, just the, the, the splash plays aren't there, and I think that's going to hurt him in, in terms of trying to get a deal with the Giants. But, I mean, hey, hopefully the Giants do say do uh, do sign him and make that a three and a four. But you got Fadakasi, you got Kyle Phillips, you got Neville Hewitt, who's done a really nice job filling in an inside linebacker. So, are, are these guys that you think will? Uh, I mean, obviously too. the younger. 
hundred percent of the snaps yeah. last week. Didn't knock Burgess, him off the yeah, field. Yeah, yes and no with Burgess. I feel like he, I feel like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. He, he kind of looks out of place. Uh, gives up a few big plays here and there. So solid tackler, you know, when he in the box type thing. But I feel like he's a real liability in coverage. Maybe he was better this week, and I didn't notice it. I just feel like his his first few games out there, I felt like he was just absolutely getting killed anytime he dropped into coverage. Um, but like I said, I could be wrong about that. But uh, I think Hewitt is a guy, and and I meant to look that up. I, I can't remember how many uh, how many years Hewitt has left on his deal because I know he came in a couple years ago and I thought he signed a two year deal. But I'll take a look at that on uh, again from our our friends at Over the Cap. But is this a guy you know in Neville Hewitt who you look at and think you know let's get him get him recent? Yeah, this is like he's he's under contract this year only. But I mean, I would imagine he'll be looking for a significant pay bump if the Jets do if uh, if the Jets do look to retain him. But are these guys, you know, Neville Hewitt, what he does for them, Harrison, who we talked about a little bit, uh, both the tackles, Shell and Beecham, do you bring them back? It, it, who's the priority? It, you know, I think Beecham's the interesting one because he could be a starter and he might get starter money elsewhere. But I I, I would think the Jets would like to bring him back and say you can compete for the starting job with whatever rookie we bring in. Um, but, you know, winning that job is unlikely. But Kelvin Beecham as a backup tackle would be – I mean, probably not a – you'd probably have the best backup tackle in the league if it came to that. You know, or if you, you find a way to, you know, give him an, um, a little bit of an extension a year or two and maybe you move him to the right side and then, and then Joe Douglas can go out and get himself uh, a solid left tackle. Um, might be – a good way to get a couple more years out of Kelvin Beecham by moving him over to the right side and, and let Nadoga continue his progress to, to learn and, and develop. Uh, Cause there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, developing, uh, you know, your, your rookie uh, draft picks. So I would, I wouldn't mind that at all, to be quite honest with you. Uh, one player out of that group that I think definitely should be considered to come back is Neville Hewitt. Um, when he first came in the scene, we kind of just expected uh, some good special teams out of him, maybe, you know, some, some spot reps here or there. Uh, but he, he ended up having to play a significant role uh, when Darren Lee got suspended last year. And obviously with the injuries that occurred this year, I, I made it, uh, you know, apparent that I was concerned uh, about his role uh, for the entire season. And I think he's done really, really well. He, he's, um, you know, found ways to create turnovers. He's gotten after the quarterback and put pressure on in that situation. Um, he's been great against the run. So he's really just been a good contributor. And, you know, we all have learned our lessons with big free agent signings. Um, you know, we were all anticipating to see C.J. Mosley uh, be in that role. And you have to have people in case those guys go down, and, and Neville Hewitt has done a phenomenal job filling in for him. So I, I'm really, really uh, hoping that he finds his way back onto this roster next year because, you know, your team is only as good as the guys that are behind your starters because anything can happen. And if you just front load your starters and you have no talent behind them, you can really, really find yourself um, in ugly situations fast when those guys go down. So I, I think you need to figure out a way to, to get him back on, on the roster next year. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned C.J. Mosley. Isn't it weird that they, they just don't talk about him anymore? It's like, oh, yeah. we don't know. 
We don't know. Like, it was a, what was it, a, 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 a strained quad groin? I don't even remember. Like, a groin, wasn't it a groin? Early in the year? Yes. Misses four or five weeks, comes back, plays a game. He's been out since. And every time they ask Apparently, him about him, he's moving like, uh, around and doing some things, but, you know, I, yeah, I there still... You go. That's he. He's moving around doing some things. People think the Baltimore game. Which I could see. I mean, if he gets healthy and he can really play, because here's the whole thing is that, you know, I said this last week, uh, I don't want him going out there at 85% and then hurting us by not, you know, blowing a play. And if he's covering a tight end or running back and and then he tweaks it again and he can't stay stride for stride and it lets up a big score or a third down stop or whatever it is, um, I don't want him hurting this team. So, you know, it, I, I much like the concept of having a, a healthy C.J. Mosley into 2020 and elevating this defense further. So uh, I, I'm not desperate to see him back on the field knowing that we have I'm, I'm uh, not desperate to see him on the field, but house. I'm desperate to yeah. get some use out of that roster spot. Either tell, if, tell us if he's coming back or just put the guy on mm-hmm. IR, you know. But, but I think and you're right. I, I think that the big yeah. thing is he's, he's probably eyeing that Baltimore game as like, you know, let, let's see if I can get ready for that one. And, um, right. you know, listen, teams can't look ahead in the schedule. I, I, I love it when I, when, I, when I look ahead, like, well, if they beat this team and they beat that team and then they got this team. And then people <laughs> tell me, can't look ahead, man. I'm like, dude, I'm not playing. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suiting up on Sunday. Like, it's not right, like I have right. to be focused on – I don't on, have to get my mind It's not like I have to be right. focused on slowing down A.J. Green and Andy Dalton. Like, I'm just a guy looking at the schedule talking about football. Um, right. But, but yeah, so as a fan looking ahead, um, look, first of all, Adam Gase has to uh, – a big step in, in showing that there's a culture change. He's got to win both these games. You can't go out now and lose to the, the Bengals or the Dolphins because now – Yeah, and Andy Dalton's there's, coming there's back no more too. Excuses. All this talk, by the way, like I don't – you know, I don't want to rehash the Mac stuff, but all this talk about how – they inherited the least talented roster in the NFL, and there's no good players on this team. I'm not hearing a lot of that anymore. I'm not hearing a lot of the, the cupboard is bare. There's no playmakers. Because, you know, because Le'Veon Bell is not a playmaker. Crowder's not a good player. Robbie Anders is not a good player. Like, all, all that talk about how, of course, they're going to go 1 in 15. There's no good players on this team. That, that's died down all of a sudden. But that, 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 that's an old argument. But I, I just think it's funny that all that talk is gone. So, so you see the way this team is playing right now. There's zero reason this team should lose to an 0-8, 0-9, whatever the, the Bengals are. And, and you can't lose to the Dolphins again. But you win those two games, I don't see any way you beat Baltimore. But I'm sure C.J. Mosley is looking at that on his calendar and thinking, you know what, if I can get back for that game, I'm, I'm sure obviously he would really like to. But um, – uh, that I mean that that's going to be a rough one, but but get, getting back to this week though against Cincinnati or you know something we haven't touched on yet, the Bengals announced they're going back to Andy Dalton. Does that uh, does that impact any way at all you view this game? Because let's face it, it's not like they were doing any good with him in there. So uh, do, do, would you? What I guess do you have any concern that the Jets will find a way to lose this game? Uh, yes, I. I definitely feel that this is a trap game um, every time. And this is just me being a, a miserable Jets fan <laughs> looking at the history here, uh, knowing that 
when this team starts to get a little too confident and then they come out laggard and they don't come out fired up in the beginning of the game. And the next thing you know, you know, you find yourself in a 13 to three, a 17 to, to six kind of scenario and, and the game just starts slipping away from you. And, and sometimes when you're a team like Cincinnati and you're desperate for a win, because they're 0 and 11 at this point, and and they're due at some point. They're due for a win, and I just kind of hope that you know our defensive game plan continues to to be there and and be a strong point with our formula going into this next week, and and hopefully the offense can continue to be in that good rhythm that they've shown. As long as the Jets can continue to uh, play at the level that they've done the last three weeks they should be able to go in there and, and beat this team. Uh, now I'm not going to say with ease, but they should just be able to go into Cincinnati, do what you got to do, put this team away, and show the rest of the NFL that Cincinnati belongs to be, you know, the number one draft pick and the worst team in the NFL. Um, but you, you can see that some players went to Twitter uh, from Cincinnati and kind of showed some excitement that the Red Rifle was coming back. Uh, because I guess a lot of those players, nobody likes to tank as much as people say the teams do that. Um, all, all these guys are competitors and they want to win. And and nobody wants a, a W more than the Cincinnati Bengals right now. So the Jets are really going to have to play smart football and be mentally focused and, and not go in there thinking that they're going to get an easy opponent. Um, because, yeah, that, you, you know, know people... They... Yeah. No, I, I was going to say you're Sorry, right but... in that... As much as they should win this game, it is these these sort of 0-9, these teams that are just dying for a win. Those are the teams that can sort of get away with saying, you know what, we're just going to do some crazy, dopey, unpredictable, you know, uh, onside kicks and fake punts and go for twos and all these things you wouldn't, you know, that would be far less likely on a normal Sunday. The Bengals could be looking at that. I mean, listen, a couple of weeks ago the Jets were in the Bengals' class. It's not like I'm saying the Jets are all of a sudden this juggernaut. Uh, the Jets were 1-7 and seven a few weeks ago. But this is a team that's put up 34 points in a row, three weeks in a row, and the Bengals have the 31st-ranked defense in the NFL. So if you can't and, find a way to beat this team. And they've gone back and forth uh, with each other throughout the years. Um, yeah, I remember the game a few years ago where we had like nine sacks in that, whole, in that opener. Oh, God, I was at that game. It was, I think it was seven sacks for the D-line and – and it was all downhill from there. I was convinced. I was like, oh, this D-line has finally arrived. They're finally living up to the hype. They're going to get five mm-hmm. sacks every week. And I don't think they had seven sacks the rest of the season. Leo had a couple that day. McClendon had yep. one. Um, they just, but, but Darrell Rivas just got smoked by A.J. Green up and down the field. And it was in bed, just screen passes, just receiver screens. And that's what concerns and me. And they just kept going. A.J. Green, if he comes back, this is a completely different team. This is not the same team that, that everyone is accustomed to. So, you know, it, it could be a little bit more difficult than people see. Yeah, and, I, I, and if he does come back, it's sort of how, you know, how far along is he? What, what is he on the injury report? Have you looked, by the way? Well, I, I'm very familiar with this situation because I made a trade for A.J. Green on one of my fantasy teams last year. Uh-huh. And I had him for one offensive series, and he's yet to play a snap since, I think, late October of last season. Uh, he's dealing really? with multiple different 
injuries that are ankle. Well, he did not practice today. Knee-related. And, yes, he did not practice today. So uh, it's still early. In so the that week. is uh, kind of been the, the theme for him to where every, each week he's getting closer and closer to playing. And then right around Thursday night, Friday, they say, yeah, he's not going to play. So I'm hoping that that's kind of what's going to happen with him. But with, with uh, Dalton coming back and, uh, you know, the Jets are, like you said, are no juggernaut. So, you know, it, it would not surprise me if this is the week that he, you know, miraculously gets healthy. Um, but even, even if he does, you, I know that he's not going to be at, at full 100%. Um, and that would be a really, really good test for these young corners. Um, but at the moment, you know, things are not looking well for, for A.J. Green. Yeah, that, and really, I mean, A.J. Green, good player and all, but, I mean, he, he shouldn't be a guy who makes a difference from a – I mean, Cincinnati's offensive line has been atrocious. Uh, I looked up the number the other day. I can't remember how many times their quarterbacks have been sacked, but it's it, it's a lot. They're They're really – Let's see. I'll see if I can find that number. But they basically, AJ Green shouldn't be the difference between the Jets being able to outscore this team or not, especially the the way the Bengals have been on offense. But you know, if he's the one guy, like this is a game Todd Bowles would lose. Like anytime Todd Bowles oh. faced a team that only had one good player on it, he would find a way to lose. Like and not be able to stop that one good player. Um, or have remember one how player they were running those formations. You're... Where they they would have the center and the two guards in the middle, and then they'd line up their tackles like on the outside where the wide receivers were, and they were just running screenplays on us, like, and we had no answer for it. Yeah, it was. I that was, was, I was at that game. It was driving me absolutely insane. crazy. It was. Uh, it was. It was just. It, it was unbelievable. Yep, forty times, Bengals quarterbacks have been sacked this season. Um, that's a lot. That's that's even. I think the Jets are at sort of thirty. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Jamal can get closer to his record this weekend, then. I'm telling you, man, I think he's getting that record, and uh, he needs to get that record because I need him to win that defense player of the year. Um, that's uh, that that that's a that's a hell of a long shot. I think I I'm sure I've mentioned I I put some money at him at 80 to one. So um, if he can manage to win that, I would be uh, eternally grateful to Jamal Adams. So let's hope. Let's hope he picks up a couple sacks and a touchdown this week. That would be absolutely fantastic. Come on, Jamal. Do it for Glenn. Yeah, absolutely. Get, you know, get me some money here. I'm actually uh, – I'm, I think he – I'm pretty sure he was 80-1. to 1. Yeah, 80-1. to 1. And uh, and I bet it a couple times. So I, I I think I win a couple grand if he wins that. So so let's 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 go, Jamal. Let's make some plays. And, and another half sack for him. Another solid effort for Jamal Adams. Jets fans have to be pumped about that. I mean, the guy, and it's funny. I I still see fans, and I I get it. It's it's the, the self promotion thing. I, you know, I saw somebody tweet that like he's always talking about himself, and which he does. He's a, he's a guy who's in. What was it? What was it? The Terrell Owens, uh, the old quote. I love me. I some love me. me like some Jamal me. loves him some Jamal. Yeah, Jamal Adams. <laughs> like win or lose, he's gonna. He's going to have pictures of himself on Twitter after a game, making a play, making a tackle, you know, President Love and all this stuff. And um, that it, fans are a lot more accepting of that when you're winning. Um, you know, when you're getting your doors blown off and you're tweeting out pictures of yourself making a tackle, uh, fans aren't going to be all that warmed up to it. But uh, it's, he's just been absolutely lights out since the trade deadline talk 
which, uh, which brings me the two more things I wanted to cover before we go, Alex. One, uh, and, and both of them have to do with being like being in journalism or reporting and being atrocious at your job. Um, first, the New York Post. I'm sure you saw this story. I mean, if ever there were, even when I was a kid growing up in New York, like everybody knew that the New York Post was trash. It was a rag. The Daily News is much better nowadays. Um, they're both pretty much garbage. But the New York Post stoops to a new low uh, looking come, and come across looking like complete asses in this. Um, they wrote an article trying to make Sam Darnold look bad by pointing out the fact that Sam Darnold uh, went out with some teammates the other night and had some drinks and kissed a girl. Um, and I don't know what they thought. I, I don't know what reaction they thought fans were going to have, but it has overwhelmingly been, wow, what a responsible young man. He's 22. He's of legal drinking age. He was out at a teammate's birthday party. He left at 1230. He got into a limousine to drive him home. He didn't drive himself home. Like every single thing he did was the right thing to do. And the trash he New York Post comes out thinking they're going to make the kid look bad. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, Sam Darnold's a better human being than me. I wouldn't give Brian Costello another quote for the rest of the year. I'd be like, go back and tell your garbage magazine like to, to take a hike, and you're not getting another quote out of me. Darnold handled it great. He said, I get it. Part of being in New York, write a passage. People are going to talk about you. They're going to lie. They're going to tell the truth, whatever. I just got to focus on my job, um, which is the perfect answer. But I really, <laughs> I just, it's such garbage. It, you can't say enough about what a bad job that is by the New York Post. But did you see that, Alex? And uh, much like myself, did it make you want to vomit? Uh, you can't see me right now, but uh, I'm rolling my eyes as we speak, just like I did when I saw that. Um, you know, these guys, I guess, are are hurting for numbers, possibly, or they're they're just looking to try to raise some eyebrows. And it's, I'm just glad that um, everyone that you know went ahead and uh, just. Uh, saw this and and didn't react poorly like a lot of the headlines that have been thrown out there this year. Um, It really seems to be that um, they're trying to create drama when there really isn't that much going on. So, uh, you know, again, like you said, this this kid went out and I remember last year, I think he was at a Mets game and uh, somebody saw him with a drink with like, a line yes. in it, yeah. and everybody. Oh, look at he's drinking straight vodka. You know, I, I, meat, I think you know. it was like one fan who did that, and that dude got fans <laughs> got all over him. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? He is an of age grown man having a drink in the off season. Like, what what you the know, hell is going on in your head right now? Like, I think about you know, and imagine social media back then with like a player like Lawrence Taylor in New York. You know, oh I, I remember hearing a story from Phil Sims about after a uh, practice on Saturday, uh, Lawrence Taylor went, got dressed up in the locker room before he went out for the night. And he was wearing this like really, really like crazy custom leather red suit. And he was just, you know, everybody could just turn your head like, what is that guy? You know? And, um, and yes, he, he showed up to the game the wearing the same suit. He showed up at the game and coming into a limo um, you know, on Sunday in that same exact suit, and I he went out there and had like two or three sacks. As soon as you said what he was like wearing, that. I was like, "Oh God, he wore the same thing, didn't he?" The next day, like, yeah, oh, probably hadn't even been to sleep, and probably yeah. went out and got three sacks. Right. So you know, I know 
nice try, I guess you could say. Um, but let's just be glad that this kid is way more mature than I was at 22 and a lot of other people in this world. He handled himself perfectly when he had to deal with the press. Um, he made the smart decision by not getting behind the wheel, like we've heard with some other young players on this team throughout the last couple of years. So Sam's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, I don't think we have an issue here. And, um, you know, this is a nice try, like I said. Um, not, not a big deal. Nothing to really worry about here, especially if the kid goes out and does his job and shows up to work on time. Yeah, so the, the, the last story, uh, and, and uh, by the way, before we go, let's, uh, let's give our sponsor a plug, Mile Social, uh, M-I-L-E Social, milesocial.com. If you're, a, if you're a business owner and you're looking for someone to handle your, your social media, your Twitter, your Facebook, all your online platforms for advertising to help uh, get some more customers in through the door and more money in your pockets, then check out Mile Social. That's M-I-L-E Social.com. Uh, give them a look. So, um, so yeah, so the last thing I wanted to touch on, another example of atrocious journalisming. Well, it wasn't even journalism, but just uh, <laughs> idiotic opinions. Um, I'm sure you saw this. I, I had a couple things to say about it. So former Steelers safety, I believe, Ryan Clark, who works for ESPN, uh, and is apparently he's, good, he's friendly enough with Jamal Adams. He's the guy Jamal was telling that, you know, I'm happy I'm going to the Cowboys when, when the trade rumors were out there and Ryan Clark was reporting it. And Ryan Clark uh, was so upset and offended at the Jets um, answering the phone when teams called about Jamal Adams that he went on ESPN, I believe it was the following morning, and said that Joe Douglas needs to be fielding calls to trade Sam Darnold. That's what Joe Douglas mm. needs to do. Because this in Ryan Clark's mind, apparently this whole mess was Sam Darnold's fault. And he was saying that because Jamal Adams is a hard worker and because Le'Veon Bell is a hard worker, Joe Douglas should be trying to trade Sam Darnold. And this is what, this is what Ryan Clark was saying three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, now that Darnold has turned it around, Ryan Clark got called out by some people on Twitter, myself included, and I don't generally do that. Like, I'm not – I say it all the time. Like, I'm, I'm so respectful of – of what these guys do and what they know and all that. But that was just such an idiot. Like, I, I just look at it as a Jet fan and think, you're telling me that I've waited, this franchise has waited nearly 50 years to get a quarterback, and they should trade a dude after, like, his 18th career start because he had a few bad weeks. It's like the worst take in history. So people called Ryan Clark out on it since Darnold's finally playing well. I mentioned it, and he replied to me saying, I said, I said you're backpedaling, dude, because he was. He was like, oh, of course players can get better. Yeah, they can. That's exactly why you don't trade them, Ryan Clark. But Ryan Clark was saying they should have traded the guy, and then he's coming, trying to come off like, well, yeah, Darnold deserves to be criticized, and of course players can improve. Well, dude, if you were the GM, he would be improving for somebody else right now. So don't give me this. And, and then he said I was, I was exaggerating, like he was being sarcastic. He, I went back and rewatched the clip. He was 100% serious. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, maybe they should trade Darnold. Huh? No. He was like, Joe Douglas needs to be taking calls on Sam Darnold. He meant it. 
There was no exaggerating. There was no joking. So he's pulling that whole, oh, people who get what I was saying understand. No, stupid people who are buying this, li- this guy's line of garbage in his mind understand. I, anyone who was watching and paying attention, they understand exactly what he was saying. He was saying, Jamal Adams is my friend, and he's playing well, and I can't believe the Jets were going to trade him. I would like to blame Sam Darnold. The Jets should trade him. And now he's backpedaling, and he's saying he's not backpedaling, 100% backpedaling. Alex, how horrific a take is that to say that you should be trading a franchise quarterback before he's played a season and a half worth of football? It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, maybe because of a team like Arizona who gave up on Josh Rosen so quickly, um, maybe that's like, you know, the new. Uh, well, that's because the they had the number one pick and they drafted, they drafted his replacement. If the Jets right, draft, exactly. if the traded Sam Darnold tomorrow, nobody knows they'll get a quarterback in the draft. Right. Sam Darnold, I, I, as we as we well know, was absolutely phenomenal at the end of his rookie season, whereas Josh Rosen was just kind of a mess because the whole team was a mess. But yeah, there's no Darnold. I I just can't imagine telling a fan base that hasn't had a quarterback in 50 years that they should trade this dude because he had a few bad weeks. Yeah, sure, okay. We'll and just, you know, we'll just wait for the next one to come along. And, and you know what's something that somebody had said either is that, you know, Sam Darnold would not be successful in New York because he's a California kid and he doesn't play in bad weather and, and, and this and that and the third. And, and then I remember how he didn't go and do the throwing drills at the draft and everybody kind of got crazy with that. And, and then he held his own practice and pro day and it was in the rain and apparently he was methodical and, you know, he was showing his new throwing style that he had developed because, People were critiquing him about his windmill throwing style. And I think you can honestly say that seeing some of the plays and the throws that Sam's done, he's found a way to kind of snap that wrist and get the ball out quickly. And he's, he's progressed on a lot of those mechanical things. Yes, there are times where his feet are not in the proper place and, you know, he throws across his body and does things like that. But there, there are things that Sam has done um, just within the last few weeks, you know, something you said before, knowing when the play is over and throwing it in the dirt rather than trying to make the greatest play out of every single, you know, rep. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping the ball on, on your side, um, you know, in, in keeping the possession and going to the next play and then doing better on that one. And Sam has shown a lot of good steps over the last month. And, uh Anybody that's willing to uh, to give up and, and and you know you know just mail it in at this point on this kid, you're, you're delusional. All right, well, Alex, that wraps things up. Let's uh, we talked about the Bengals game, but we did not <clears throat> we did not offer our predictions. What do you see happening in this one, Alex? Uh, I think that this is going to be another. Um, Happy Sunday for the Jets. Um, defense is rolling hot. Um, I, I really like the way Greg Williams is, is drawing up his schemes and, and creating pressure from different angles. Um, the offense is, is rolling at this point. Um, I'm going to predict that this is going to be Le'Veon Bell's first 100-yard rushing game of the year. And uh, I think the Jets are going to come away with this um, in style. 
Um, I don't know if they're going to put up 34 points again for the fourth week in a yeah, row. You have to pick, which is pretty. Well, well, I, I meant to tell you beforehand, whether you're picking a win or a loss, you have to predict 34 points. That's a given. They're either going to score 34 <laughs> and win or 34 and lose. That needs to be the magic we, number. It's got to be 34. So let, let well, if we're going to do that, we have to go 34-10. I think we're going to get another uh, gangrene beatdown um, in Cincinnati this week. And the Jets roll hot, getting their fourth win in a row. Let's go, Jets. Yeah, so uh, because they've been playing so poorly, I think I've picked against the Jets every week. And I thought, I'm just going to keep picking against them um, until they <laughs> until they lose a game. Um, and it's funny, because I'll say, I'll say stuff like, I'll be like, I'm not superstitious. Superstitions are for idiots. And then I'll be watching the game, and I'll have that thought, and I'll be like, I probably shouldn't pick the Jets to, to win this week, because... Because every time I pick them to win, every time I pick them to lose, they win. Um, but I just I, I cannot with a straight face um, pick them to lose to this Bengals team. Um, however, I'm picking them to win, and if they lose, then I'm never picking them to win again for the rest of my life. Uh, but same thing, I think it's a blowout. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say right in, right in the same ballpark as yours. I'll say 34-14 to not be exactly the same, but I think the Bengals get on the board once or twice, and uh, and the Jets score their customary. 34 points. So we will see how that goes. Alex, uh, enjoy the show tonight and uh, looking forward to the game on Sunday. Go ahead and give out your Twitter handle and we will uh, log off for the evening. Oh, thank you again, Jets fans, uh, for coming by. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, Eat hearty. Um, You know, everyone have a good time. Be safe this weekend. And um, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Let's go Jets. All right, Jets fans, and I am Glenn Naughton signing off. AceFan23 on Twitter, at ACEFan23. Have a great night, and uh, hopefully we're talking about another Jets win this time next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time... Go Jets!